Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. The Waco History Podcast is sponsored by Brotherwell Brewery on Historic Bridge Street in Waco. Cross the Brazos and Waco Ride hard and I'll make it by dawn Cross the Brazos and Waco I'm safe when I reach San Antonio All right, well, welcome back to the Waco History Podcast. And uh, I've, I've been getting lonely uh, since Randy has left, and so I brought in a guest host with me uh, for today's episode. So I want to welcome Eric Ames back, who is a... Uh, not a stranger to the program. He's one of our repeat offenders at the Waco History Podcast. Uh, Eric uh, works for the uh, University Library Systems with me, uh, but he is also a uh, lecturer in the Museum Studies Department and has a degree in Public Relations and Museum Studies, and so uh, a varied background. But he is an author, as our listeners know, of now three, at least three. I haven't checked with him lately. Just three. At least three books on Waco history. And so how is how is Hidden History of Waco doing? It's doing well. Uh, uh, yeah, I've, I've been excited to find it show up in more and more retail spots. Um, the other day I walked past a rotator at uh, HEB and saw my book title staring back at me and thought, this is it. I've made it. We've arrived. Fantastic. So yeah. if you're listening at, the, at HEB and you are in the 15 items or less aisle and you have 15 items, grab Eric's books, move over to the next aisle, and uh, check it out. I think you'll I think you'll enjoy uh, reading it. And so I've asked Eric here to guest host, and this is an episode I've been looking uh, forward to doing for a while because uh, another mutual friend of Eric and I's is Clint Lynch, and uh, Clint is a local uh, here from Waco. Uh, went off other places, a trained historian, and so he has a history background. Uh, but you may know him here in Waco if you run into him in recent years. You've been back about five years? Five years, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So Clint is the general manager of the Oakwood Cemetery Association. Yes. And I want to say that right. And I know it's bigger than Oakwood, and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. But Oakwood is a landmark, a longtime landmark of, of Waco. And so I thought it would be good for us to uh, – visit a little bit about Oakwood. Maybe Mike uh, Hamilton, who does our production here, can add some music here that sets the tone uh, <laughs> for a discussion of Oakwood Cemetery. And so, Clint, I'd love to start out just because uh, we've got a lot of folks that listen that are new to Waco and, and may be wondering what I'm talking about, uh, which is hard to believe for folks that are longtime Wacoans. But if you'll talk just a little bit about some of the general history of Oakwood, the uh, the who and when and those sorts of questions. Sure. Um, Oakwood is actually the fourth oldest cemetery in Waco. Um, you know, a lot of people think it's a lot older than it is, but um, when the first street cemetery filled up, that's when Oakwood came into being. Um, the first burial was, I believe, October 21st, 1878. Um, prior to that being a cemetery, it was a fairground and a racetrack. Uh, it was out of town, kind of far away, and so as most cemeteries, you know, start out to be. But um, at one, after the very first burial was uh, Rose Parrott. Uh, she was three years old when she passed away, and she's part of the, the old uh, Waco family, the Parrott family. And so from there, the cemetery just kind of sprang into being, and more and more people started using it because there was no real burial place in town. And so um, then they started moving their loved ones from First Street Cemetery as First Street was kind of falling into disrepair. Mm -hmm. um, but Oakwood was started by the city of Waco. It was a city cemetery for about 20 years until the city secretary stole all of Oakwood's money. And then that's when the city fathers gave it to their wives to manage and operate. And so that is how it's become to be the Oakwood Cemetery Association and since 1898, there's only been women on the board of directors. Is that in the organizing 
documents for it or? It is not. We cannot find it anywhere. And um, I think it makes us special. But uh, there may be some men show up on the board one of these days. Okay. Well, you know, there's a glass ceiling there that, that needs to be that needs to be broken. That's... Uh, <laughs> Well, that, that's great, though. Um, so the First Street Cemetery, which uh, Eric's talked about a little bit in his podcast, and, of course, Helen Marie Taylor talked about. She was involved in some of those restoration efforts down there. Kind of kind of remind us where that was or is. First yeah. Street Cemetery is right on the access road to um, Interstate 35 and um, University Parks Drive. Um, a lot of people think it's associated with the Texas Ranger Hall of Fame because it happens to be a neighbor. But um, it's right there on the river. Okay. Yes. And so you said there were three, there were two others besides that yes. one. Yeah. Um, Hebrew Rest, which is right behind First Street, is the second oldest. And then um, Greenwood Cemetery on the other side of the river is actually three years older than Oakwood. Okay. Interesting. I think there's a lot of interesting comparatives between Greenwood's development and Oakwood's yes. development because they're both such long standing cemeteries in town exactly yeah eric talked about and i mainly brought you here eric, so you can say his name you want me to say the full name of <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, uh, albertus telephus johnson um which that's not the full name that's <laughs> that's his short name uncle tell uh clint is reaching for a brochure because i'm certain he's going to uh talk about this from his perspective uh, yes, we talked about the uh, relocation of this storied individual from First Street to Oakwood, uh, and I didn't write the name down. I should have known that you would ambush me with that. Uh, <laughs> thankfully, we will find that, and we can edit this I just, pause. I out. just imagined in your sleep that that name that that name came to you because you rattled it off so well. It's my personal mantra. I say it every morning in the mirror to remind myself I am good enough, and I might get relocated to Oakwood someday uh, if I'm lucky. Now, are you talking about Telephus, Telemachus, Lewis, Augustus, Albertus, Johnson? That's the guy. The one and only. T-T-A-A-L, as yes. his friends call him. <laughs> so, but as you talked about it, Clint, so he's part of a larger movement to relocate yes. graves. And do you know why they're doing that? I mean, because, just because of the state of... I think it probably was a lot to do with the state of the cemetery. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those that drive by uh, First Street you know, his mausoleum is still standing. There was an article in the paper about a month ago about they kind of restored it a little bit. But, um, you know, they moved him to Oakwood. And I can't say exactly when that happened. Mm -hmm. But um, I'm sure there was some fanfare because he was such a fantastical figure in history. Yeah, I think it's in Eric's book. So, again, if you're at HEB, get get Eric's book and you'll have that reference. Thank you, Stephen. I, we should disclose at this point that I've hired him to pitch my book uh, literally everywhere he goes. He's, he's my hype man, and I really appreciate that. Yeah, because Oakwood would have been way out there. I mean, if we think about 1878. Oh, yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, that, w- that would have been out in the boonies. And I, what do you know? I know you've been a funeral director as well, different places. Do you know much about kind of funerary practices like, during this period? You know, yeah, I did. I know a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, after the civil war was when embalming really came into practice. And so you had people moving around the country able to, you know, not having to bury and, you know, immediately like they used to. So you've got people, you know, and some of the old records coming in from Dallas, Houston, um, out of state, you know, just wanting to come home. So uh, you've got a lot of that. Um, what's really fascinating is a lot of the, um, the iconography that shows up on the headstones themselves and what they represent. And um, there's always something new that I'm discovering, you know, just walking around the cemetery. Well, you can't say that without giving me some examples of, of stuff that's maybe your favorite iconography. Um, there's one where there's a hand pointing up. There's others where there's hands shaking hands. Um, there's uh, beautiful obelisks that are out there that have an urn at the top of them, and that urn is covered. And so, um, you know, there's all sorts of different things that are out there. Some so, of my favorites are the ones with the torches that are upside down to represent that they've been extinguished. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Those are There's a lot of really great uh, carvings and iconography and uh, just beautiful imagery at Oakwood. Oh, oh yeah. Um, you know, the heartbreaking ones are the, the little lambs that sit on top of the, you know, the kids. Oh, uh, yeah. 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 
Wow. Just appropriate pause. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah that, that, that is tough. I, I mean, I, the hands, as far as the meaning of some of that, do you have a sense of what the meaning of some um, of that is? You know, of course, the one pointing up is they're going to heaven. Okay. I've seen that after touchdowns where they, where <laughs> they do that. So now I get that. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. What about the hands touching each other? Uh, the hands, they're kind of like shaking hands. I'm not sure if that's kind of like a, um, you know, meeting with God or something along those mm-hmm. lines. Okay. Uh, to, to go back and kind of trace the history, it, it seemed like Oakwood very quickly became the place to be if you were newly dead. Yes. Um, because, I mean, the, the, the who's who of the, of the recently dead are populating Oh yeah, Oakwood, and and talk a little bit about some of those figures. Oh gosh, you know, I mean, you can't, you know, the best place to learn Waco history is to walk through Oakwood. Um, you know, it is a representation of the town. Um, you know, you've got, um, you know, of course, Mr. Johnson that's out there. <laughs> Let's um, refer to him as Mr. Johnson. Exactly, because I'm not going to say that whole name again. <laughs> um, you've got William Cameron. You've got William Cowper Brown. Um, brand, excuse me. You've got George Erath. You've got the Ross family. You know, there wouldn't be a Waco without the Ross family and George Erath. So, I mean, there's just every aspect of Texas history and, um, and Waco history is represented on the grounds. Mm-hmm. You know, I was trying to find some bunches of information just to, so that I could speak somewhat intelligently today. And, you know, it, it's kind of a, you know, a Encyclopedia Britannica of just who's who of just people. It's amazing. Yeah, and, and uh, Waco history, but Texas history. Exactly. In the 19th yeah. century, definitely. Yeah. Three governors of Texas, uh, lieutenant governor of Texas, congressmen, you know, state representatives, they're all out there. For $500, who are the three governors uh, buried in Oakwood Cemetery? Is he good for it? <laughs> sure. <laughs> it's yeah. Bitcoin. It's, bit- it's Bitcoin. It's Dogecoin. <laughs> okay, yeah, there yeah. you go. There you go. Um, you've got uh, Richard Koch. Lawrence Sullivan Ross and uh, of course Pat Neff. Yep, that's right. Pay up. Yeah, man knows his, well, man uh, knows his, his deceased governor. Not immediately. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna have to send him a crypto wallet. Exactly, <laughs> encrypted link. Yeah. Well, one of the things, one of the words you mentioned as we get into people, you know, is the the grounds, the layout itself. So something I've always been curious about is, do you have any sense how the overall movement towards sort of the beautification of cemetery spaces? developed over the 19th century. You saw Frederick, Frederick Law Olmsted working in these places where they became not just a place to put the deceased, but a place to come and celebrate a life lived. You saw people having picnics in cemeteries. You saw it being a, a real place for people to come and gather. Do you know if there was any influence from that movement on the creation of Oakwood, or was it really a function of, we have the space, we know we can use it this way? I think Oakwood has kind of been, um, you know, has just kind of grown and come into its own. Um, I was reading in um, one of the history books uh, that I've got in my office today is that when they first took it over, there was no trees out there. Mm. And so, um, you know, they were planting trees right and left. You know, what Oakwood is really known for is its main avenue Mm -hmm. uh, of all those stately live oak trees. And um, those are all about 100 years old now. And so they were all dedicated uh, to certain individuals in memoriam. Um, but I've got some great pictures um, that one of the former board members dropped off at my office that I had never seen before. There's some Gildersleeve photos. And um, the families themselves would spend a lot of money and a lot of time, you know, beautifying their, their, their grave spaces. Um, you know, beautiful topiaries and shrubbery and trees and flowers, all sorts of stuff that you know, they could do just to you know, make it a pleasant place to go because the cemetery was like you talked about in the old days, you know, you, they would go out and decorate and keep the graves clean and they would picnic. And that was their connection to, um, you know, to their past and to their families. I would imagine relocating some of these early families, Oakwood gave them an opportunity to kind of do a deep do over. I mean, from a frontier grave, which I would imagine would be fairly modest to something a little more impressive. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, you know, in the night, I think it was 1959, maybe a little earlier, um, Neil McLennan was moved to Oakwood. Um, his cemetery where he was is now under Lake Waco. And so they've got a beautiful monument there for him, uh, a 1936 centennial marker. You know, they moved quite a few of his family members. And um, there's some other people that were moved along with him that are in close proximity. So, um, yeah, it gives them that opportunity to, you know, to, 
recognize and memorialize those those figures that are you know long since passed. You mentioned the brand uh, grave, which I know folks have interacted with uh, over. Uh, I don't know if life's the appropriate term, but over the life of the grave, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can can you? We we have a uh, episode telling who Brand is, but maybe just a little bit of his story and and maybe how he's kind of continued to be this uh, figure in town. It's lightning rod, yeah. Um, you know, William Brand was um, you know a, a journalist, I guess you could call him. Um, he was uh, very strong in his opinions. I guess that's a safe assumption. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, his opinions didn't always align with um, everything that Waco stood for. Didn't much care for Baptists, didn't much care for Episcopalians, uh, didn't much care for women and African Americans. And um, he um, printed it, didn't mind what was said. And um, because of that, he was kidnapped by a bunch of Baylor students at one point, tried to get him to retract his comments. I'm not sure how that worked out for either party. Um, and then he got into um, uh, a war of words with the county judge at that time, George Gerald, I believe was his name, and um, ended up in a gunfight in uh, the middle of downtown Waco where um, Judge Gerald lost his arm, and the guy that actually shot and killed him um, died, and Brand pulled his own pistol and shot and killed his assailant. And word is is that uh, his assailant is also buried at Oakwood as well. So, um, but Bran, then, you know, was buried at Oakwood, had a beautiful monument. Um, there was a piece at the top that's called the Urn of Knowledge. Unfortunately, it has since disappeared. It disappeared in about 2009. Um, but then there is what's all that's left is a little uh, small pedestal with his silhouette on it. And there is, if you look closely enough, right at the temple of the uh, silhouette, there's a little pockmark where um, even in death, somebody uh, shot him. Took a shot at Took him. Took a shot at him. Yes. Yeah, I think I think Randy deemed Brand Waco's first troll. Yes. And, uh, yeah, so people still have strong feelings. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> against Brand uh, besmirching. I think it was the character of the uh, Baylor women that Brand. Yes smirch that really offended the the uh, people at Baylor. I know he went off to, went after Rufus Burleson pretty severely mm-hmm. and eventually caused his resignation. Mm-hmm. Who is also buried yes. uh, in Oakwood Cemetery. Yes. Yeah. You know, the, the great thing about Oakwood is I've been wanting for years to try to do different tours of the cemetery. You can do a political tour. You can do a Waco tour. You know, the old Waco families. You could do a Baylor tour. Um, you know, there's just so many different aspects that you can, that you can track out there. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they're all, the, the neat thing is, and you know, the, it, there's always been that joke is, you know, in Waco, you have to be careful who you're talking about because, you know, <laughs> everybody knows everybody and everybody's related to everybody, but you know, everybody in Waco's history is such a small tight knit community that, um, you know, Rufus Burleson who baptized Sam Houston and, um, he knew, um, Shapley Ross, Lawrence Sullivan Ross's dad, and he looked at L.S. Ross and said, that boy's going to be governor one day. And he lo- he lived long enough to see it. Wow. So there's some amazing stories that are out there that are like that. Mm-hmm. You're talking about everyone in Waco knows everyone, and you got to be careful what you say. That reminds me that uh, Madison Cooper Jr. is also buried yes. at Oakwood. And, of course, he wrote Saronia, Texas, which was supposed to be this Romana Clef sort of veiled allegory for Waco from Reconstruction to World War One. But it's a beautiful marker. The, the yes. Cooper family marker is a, a milestone within that setting. So anytime I bring people to town, they say, oh, take me to the historic cemetery. That's one of the stops along oh, yeah. the way. What are some other sort of must-see markers or stones or monuments if you were to come out and tour Oakwood for the first time? Um, you know, they're all clustered together. Um, you know, you've got um, um, William Cameron's headstone. It's a beautiful piece. Um, we're actually trying to get it cleaned up and, um, and preserved a little bit. Uh, right across the street from him is uh, J.W. Mann, who's you know was the brick maker whose uh, bricks built um, it, the suspension bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just these great monuments unto themselves. So is uh, is Cameron over on the right? So let's say we're going, we're driving through the gate right now and listening mm-hmm. to this. 
is Cameron over on the right? Cameron is on the right okay. in the very first block, and then just immediately across the street from him um, on that uh, same right side is uh, J.W. Mann. Right behind J.W. Mann is Shapley Ross and the Ross family, Lawrence Sullivan Ross, uh, his sister Kate Ross, um, who, you know, I think her claim to fame is she was the first Anglo child born in Waco. Mm-hmm. So um, in that first block, block one, is where, you know, the who's who are buried of those early, early figures. Um, you've got Richard Koch, who's, um, you know, the first governor that was a United States senator that was buried at Oakwood. His wife was one of the first board members um, after it became a foundation and um, or an association. And his, uh, his monument is built... It's got a sculpture of him on the top, and he's facing his best friend, Dr. Wallace. And um, when Coke came to Waco, he lived with Wallace, and um, he appointed him head of the uh, the state hospital uh, when he was governor of Texas. Mm-hmm. And Wallace was an early figure in uh, psychiatry. And they've got these two beautiful sculptures, and they're just facing each other. Mm. You know, when I first came to Waco, I was told, well, they hated each other. They didn't want to turn their backs on each other. You know, the story was not true. <laughs> and that's the biggest problem with Oakwood is you get all these stories that are not true. So, you know, but those are, you know, walking around that first block, you know, you really just get a sense of, you know, the architecture of the, of the stones that are there and kind of the personalities of some of the individuals. You know. Is it wrong to think of kind of that front part as the beginning and kind of the frontier as you move back, like it develops? Does it develop? It's about a two-block width, right? Um, yeah, there. it, well, there's four blocks across the front. Across the yes, front, sir. okay. And so kind of the earliest graves are across the front, and it develops back. Yeah, yeah. well, you know, it's kind of hard to say because they yeah. jump around. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the blocks are, the way that they're laid out, um, you know, when I first got there, I was trying to kind of, you know, figure out, you know, where's which block is which. And my first question was, well, who got liquored up and laid this place out? Um, but over time, you find that, um, you know, as they added property, they would add more blocks. And so they're not in, they're not in sequential order. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, but you're, you're along the right, the, you know, the old section is where, you know, the cemetery really took off. And the cemetery is divided into two sections. There's the old section, which is the actual square blocks. And then in um, 1928, Oakwood bought the uh, cemetery behind it, which was Park Lawn Cemetery. And so we just tore the fence down, and then um, the first burial was in um, that same year for Oakwood personnel to bury somebody. And so uh, Park Lawn was actually started by F.M. Compton, um, which had the funeral homes in town, which now is Conley Compton Funeral Home. Okay. And how, how old was that cemetery? Yeah. I don't know a lot okay. about it. Okay. Um, it had been around for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um, Oakwood is a nonprofit cemetery. It's always been set up as a nonprofit. And um, Park Lawn was a for-profit. And it just wasn't able to make it. Okay. The original cemetery, I, I, I think I read 157 acres now. Is this is 165 this, uh, is kind okay. of what, where, where we've kind of landed. So how, how, how big, you know how big that original cemetery was at the... It was probably about um, 40, 45, 50 acres okay. maybe. Yeah. Okay. So when they acquire that, they needed they needed the space at that point to continue to expand. Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. And they really didn't want to, probably didn't want a derelict cemetery behind them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's when they came in and took it over. So that leads to the question then, um, how are you set for expansion moving into the future? You looking get in the market, Eric? I mean, we're all yeah. mortal, Stephen. Yeah. We're all going to okay. pass pass off the mortal coil. Well, you know, and um, if you need property, let me know. I'm I'll, I'll be more than happy to uh, to help you out. <laughs> That's actually what this is all about. That's right. Exactly. Our sponsor this week, <laughs> Oakwood Oakwood Cemetery right. Association. That's right. Um, you know what we have is we're we're about half full. There's enough room for about seventy five thousand burials, mm-hmm. and we're thirty eight thousand and some change. Okay. Is a I don't know why I'm thinking about this, but is a plot about the same size, like a modern plot, a cemetery plot about the same size as their plotting cemetery yes. plots? Mm-hmm. Um, our average space is about four foot wide. In the older sections, they're a little bit longer than they are in the back sections. And that's just because of, um, you know, the headstones back then were bigger. People, um, 
people were able to actually spend a little bit more money and develop something a little bit larger. Nowadays, in the back sections, they're four by eight, four by ten. So people were smaller back then because that's what they tell you on every historic house tour. Mm-hmm. But their cemetery plots were larger. Exactly. Yeah. I love this. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Is six feet always been the standard? It's not really six foot. Okay. You know, See. You know, depends on what kind of container you're in. You know, state law now is you've got to have anywhere from 18 to 24 inches of coverage between the top of the casket and the top of the ground. Oh, that's it. That's it. Oh, man. Hmm. Well, a little wasted labor if you're digging six feet down. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, you mentioned earlier, uh, of course, one of the things that keeps kind of Oakwood in conversations is the wrong stuff. <laughs> You know, the folklore or the, right. you know, stories that get shared, uh, not to perpetuate them, but to destroy them, tell them now. <laughs> <laughs> Every last one of them. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the biggest one that I know of right off the top of my head is the one about um, Richard Koch and, um, and Dr. Wallace, you know, that they hated each other. So, um, you know, that's, that's the one that comes to mind right off the bat. Um, you know, I you know, put me on the spot. I can't think of anything else off the top of my head. Well, we <laughs> talked the other day about the uh, the Tell Johnson, not to keep coming back to Uncle Tell, right. but I had mentioned in, in my research that I had heard numerous versions of what he was originally buried with. He was upright at a table with a six-shooter or a knife or whiskey or cards or all of the above. You, depending on who you talk to, the story changes. And you mentioned that you would you, your version of it was, you know, uh, I think a Bowie knife and... Six-shooter. Six-shooter. And then yes. they move him to Oakwood. And I'm sure the rumors have persisted that he's still there in that same way because it's a, it's an above ground crypt. It's a large enough space to use your imagination and think it could fit, but it really couldn't. It's not big enough. For no, like no. And I, I honestly, I think he's probably in the ground. Okay. So that's an yeah. above ground marker, but his casket is below he's ground. in the ground. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and you know, that's a lot of things that people come out there and see, they see things that, that are false crypts that, Oh, he must be above ground. No, it's just a false. And so they're actually buried in the ground. Depending upon when he actually passed and when they moved him, they probably didn't want to do too much with it. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. So. Well, we think about stories that get shared because I, I've been to Oakwood never at night, but I've been out there during the day. But I would imagine if it were at night and those oaks and I was in a, I was in Oakwood, you know, it, it uh, there's a certain ambiance uh, that it, it would give off if you spent some time there. So. I would imagine there are those sorts of stories as well as. Yes. Um, one of the, the stories that I've always heard is that Bran haunts the cemetery. And um, I live on property. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I've been in the cemetery business for over 20 years now. And I have never heard anybody tell me a ghost story that didn't start with we were out drinking one night. So, um, you know, I cannot confirm anything, but, um, I have been in that cemetery all hours of the day and night, and I have not experienced anything personally. Um, I will say it is extremely creepy. Um, those trees, they cast shadows, those headstones, um, you know, they, they cast shadows, you catch it out of the corner of your eye and, um, you can, uh, you can, uh, get your blood flowing a little I would imagine moonlight playing off some of those surfaces. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you get, so you've been out there at times where you've been a little uncomfortable. Yes, exactly. Mm. I used to walk my dog through the cemetery in the early mornings and um, she would stop and always turn around and look behind us. And uh, that's when I quit walking my dog through the cemetery in early mornings. Mm. I will say it's got a reputation for being a place for people to go and jog. Uh, yes. You see a ton of joggers run around and through Oakwood. Is that something that is unique in your experience, or is that something that's fairly common? I have never experienced that in any of my other cemeteries where I've worked, but I do know that um, uh, one of my good friends runs Glenwood Cemetery in Houston, and um, it's kind of in a neighborhood, and families go there and walk and jog, and, you know, it's a protected area. You're not going to, you know, it's not like you're walking down LaSalle or any of the bus- uh, the busy streets around Baylor. So it's kind of a protected area. And I love the fact that, you know, especially the Baylor students, you know, that's their little place to go and um, to jog, walk, study. Um, I did have to tell one guy one day to take his hammock down. He had it strung between two trees and he was studying for finals. And wow. um, yeah, I said, you know, we want you to, you know, just to, to hang out, but not literally 
hang out. Yeah. Speaking of finals, uh, Oakwood. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Because it raises the Eric's question raises a really good, you know, what should the role of a place like Oakwood be in kind of the ongoing life? I mean, you've thought about this some, you know, how should the community interact with it? You know, at what point is it a public space? At what point is it a private kind of space? It's definitely a public space. Um, You know, during the pandemic, when the pandemic was at its worst, um, you know, there was all these questions about, well, what do you do with funerals? Do you allow people in? Do you, you know, I can't control what happens, you know, who comes into the cemetery. Mm -hmm. I can't stand there with a clicker and go, you know, count cars. Um, It's a public space. I have no clue if you're coming out to see a loved one, if you're coming out to a funeral, or if you're just looking, you know, you know, just wanting to walk, walk around and look around. Um, you know, living on property, I'm out in my yard or, you know, doing stuff, and there's a constant flow of traffic in that cemetery every day. And on Saturdays and Sundays, it's tremendous the amount of people that are in and out of that place. Mm-hmm. You know, the majority of them are there to go see a loved one, to, you know, we have people that come out and on anniversaries of deaths, they'll do balloon release. Um, we've got people, you go out and they've got, um, tents set up with chairs. Uh, they're having a picnic, they're having kind of a family reunion. And, um, that's what cemeteries originally were mm-hmm. as a place of celebration. And, and Oakwood is still like that. And, you know, I enjoy people being out there. Um, you know, and I, I really enjoy, you know, back to the jogging and people being on property is that when I, you know, when you've got a widow that's out there that's elderly to go see her husband, there's somebody there. Mm. So that if something does happen that, you know, if she falls or something like that, um, somebody's there to help them. And that to me is what, uh, and that happens quite a bit. Mm. You know, the Baylor students that are out there jogging, walking, studying, you know, they're, they're kind of the, uh, the centuries of, uh, of the cemetery. Yeah. Cause you know, tracing this, story of Oakwood and Waco, it's not in the boonies anymore. No. And so I would think for management, I mean, from your standpoint, there's been, particularly in the last 20 years, a lot of increased kind of development pressure yes. around Oakwood. So what has that meant for the cemetery? Um, you know, there's, to the uh, to the north of us, it's all student housing for Baylor. And um, to the uh, southern side of us, um, you know, there's you're starting to see the neighborhood kind of grow and more people move in. Um, You know, we're trying to acquire more property where we can to help make sure that Oakwood's sustainable for the future. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's not that many cemeteries in Waco, functioning cemeteries. You've got a lot of cemeteries that are out, you know, China Spring, Chalk Bluff, you know, and those areas, they have their own cemetery. But for those that actually live in Waco, there's Oakwood, Rosemount, and uh, Waco Memorial Park, and um, Doris Miller out outside of Belmead. I don't know enough about the business side of this to know what kind of rising property values, what that does to, you know, your operation or challenges it might present for your operation, and, and maybe it doesn't. I don't know enough to know. Um, you know, cemeteries are, um, we don't have to pay property taxes. Okay. So uh, when we buy property, you know, it goes immediately to the um, to to be declared for cemetery use. I see. Yeah, and that probably lives in a trust or something like that that's yes. managed by the association. Yeah. yeah, we've got a trust. That's what help keeps us um, keeps us viable. Yeah, or the the same thing that would happen that happened to First Street. Uh, I mean, if if you were a taxable entity. I mean, it would be getting hard right now, I would think, to oh, yeah, maintain definitely. that much land. Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, if if Oakwood was to, you know, be full today, then um, we would become a historic site. And you still have to mow the grass and maintain the trees and mm-hmm. maintain the headstones. And so that's where that uh, that trust comes in. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that with a, an association attached to Oakwood, you have a different setup for that long-term care versus First Street, which is a part of the city of Waco Parks and Rec Department. Right. And so they do come out and mow and they do regular maintenance, but you don't see the same maybe community investment in it that you would with an Oakwood or perpetual care cemetery. Right. And that's always something that's fascinating to me about First Street is, you know, is there a place for us to put together some kind of a friends group 
essentially to function along with what the association does and your your board of directors for Oakwood. And maybe that's just part of what happened with First Street. It got landlocked and then it became a city function. And then they thought, well, okay, it's taken care of. Um, but you lose some of that passion maybe for the people who were interred there. Right. You know, the, the thing that keeps the cemetery going is, um, you know, besides active burials, is the people that come out. And, you know, everybody that's been, that's in First Street, you know, First Street closed 1878, 77. And there's nobody else around that has a loved one buried out there and that they're going to actively, you know, physically want to go out there and see. So you don't see that as much. You get the historians, you get the people that are, you know, looking for the generals that are buried out there or, you know, some of the more prominent individuals. But, um, you know, that's all that you get out there. You don't get the families coming out. Mm-hmm. And so you lose that, and that's when the cemeteries really start to decline. Is that why the walking tails and the joggers and all that is good, just in that it, it keeps a community engagement? It keeps a, I think so. Yeah. I think so. Walking tails, um, I wish I could say that, you know, that was Oakwood's idea, but it's uh, the Storytellers Guild. They have taken that and run with it. I bet I answer that question a couple of times a week. When's Walking Tales? When's Walking Tales? And uh, from my understanding, uh, from my recollection, it's the second or third Saturday in October. Mm-hmm. used to always fit perfectly right on uh, Homecoming weekend. And, um, you know, for those that don't know what it is, it's um, the Storytellers Guild comes out and they have people come out and do first-person interpretation of some of the individuals that are already buried there. Um, sometimes they dress up, sometimes they don't, but, um, it's a lot of fun and people enjoy it. And this year was really, uh, this last year was really significant because we were right in the middle of COVID and it gave people an opportunity to be outside and, um, something to do. And it's just fun to see the people that show up for that and, um, the excitement that they have for it. You mentioned sustainability in terms of basically square footage and acreage to be able to work with. But what are your thoughts on some of the, the trends in burials that are the more sustainable options? You see people being buried in ways that they can become, you know, a tree. Mm-hmm. You know, their remains can go to, to be a, a part of the ecosystem in that way. Is that something that you ever foresee being possible at Oakwood or are there state laws that say you can't do this here? What are your, what's the status of that? Um, we do, we do handle green burials. Um, green burials have not come to Waco in a strong sense as of yet. Um, but if somebody wants to be buried in a wicker basket or something along those lines, we don't have a problem with that. Um, the tree issue we do have, um, we do have a little bit of a problem with because, um, those tree roots are going to get into the, um, the adjoining burial sites Mm -hmm. and they're going to shift caskets, shift headstones, or make it more difficult to, to bury somebody next door. And, um, you know, I love trees. I love, you know, I can't say enough how much I love Oakwood's trees. And, um, you know, I'd love to have more of them out there. But we have to be careful with how we plant our trees and where we plant our trees so that we, um, you know, we still have room to do our uh, to do our main mission, which is serve, you know, serve the people of Waco. Mm-hmm. But, you know, definitely green burials are, are it's a big thing that's coming through. And um, that's something that we're kind of looking at for the future is how do we accommodate people that want green burials? You know, right now, um, cremation is on the rise. Um, being here in Texas, we're in the south, the deep south, we're a little bit slower to cremation than the rest of the country. Um, I think we're almost 50%, um, but you've got New York and um, uh, Northern California and Washington and Oregon, they're 85% cremation. Mm-hmm. Um we're a little bit slower down here, but it is definitely making, um, you know, as on the rise. And so we're having to look at ways to serve people that choose to be cremated. Mm. Uh, we've got a columbarium wall now, and uh, a columbarium is like a mausoleum, but it's only big enough for cremated remains. Um, last year, I just added two new walls to it. But for the future, where do we need to go? And what do we need to do to better serve the population? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Now, Obviously, the trees are the most important botanical or fauna-related aspect that grows in Oakwood, but I've heard a rumor about a certain plot related to a famous Texas musician that may or may not also have some greenery involved with it. This is what we call a segue 
and I've made Clint very uncomfortable. But can you tell that story? Uh, there's a, a gentleman that is buried out at Oakwood who was Willie Nelson's road manager. And um, I think he was a UT grad. There is a longhorn on the front of the headstone. Um, and I couldn't tell you his name for the life of me, but his nickname is Pooty, P-O-O-D-I-E, I believe. And um, there have been some things that have been found growing on Pooty's uh, gravesite that um, we, do, we do go out and, uh, and remove as quickly as we can. Uh, I haven't seen it in quite some time, but uh, it has happened in the past. Okay. Rumor now, confirmed. Now there's going to be a line out there. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> One thing I think Oakwood offer, offers kind of a case study, interesting case study of an all-female board. I, I'm interested, and maybe I wouldn't ask this question if it, it was an all-male board, but how do you think that's kind of shaped the development uh, of Oakwood as an operation, the fact that uh, women have had this opportunity to speak into its direction for so long? You know, the, the, the women that have served on the board are fiercely loyal to Oakwood. You know, in order to serve on the board, you have to be a property owner or a descendant or, you know, of a property owner. And, um, you know, this is their cemetery. Um, you know, I have, my family has plots out there. We've been out there for over a hundred years. It's, you know, it's my cemetery. And, um, and I think that they want to make sure that Oakwood maintains the way that it has so that it is still the, you know, the gorgeous place that it is. Um, and, you know, back in the old days, in the 1890s, you know, they, the city had um, all sorts of stipulations. They had um, managers, money managers that would help out. But nowadays, we don't need it. We've got, uh, we've got lawyers, real estate agents, CPAs that have served on the board and helped to guide us, and they've made some tremendous decisions that have helped our endowment, that have kept our endowment healthy so that we can move forward and do what's needed to do to make sure that Oakwood is sustainable. Mm. I mean, these, these ladies are just, um, you know, they are, no, they are no shrinking violets. They are there. They are strong, smart, business savvy individuals that, um, that have taught me a lot, you know, in my five years there. Mm -hmm. I'll also know you're responsible for Rosemount, which is the cemetery kind of behind Oakwood. Yes. Okay. If you could talk a little bit about, um, you, you know, we have a death in the 1930s. What determines where I go. I mean, if I might be in Greenwood or I might be in Rosemount or I might be in Oakwood, just, you know, what those elements are determining options that are available sure. to families. Yeah. Um, from my understanding, Rosemount was built to be a low cost alternative to Oakwood. Okay. So I think it comes down to a lot of time is financial. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, Rosemount is still, you know, significantly, it's, it's less than Ro- than Oakwood. Um, and there's another little cemetery that is attached to Rosemount. Uh, it's called Garden of Memories. And it's hidden way back in a little neighborhood. There, I mean, the cemeteries touch. Um, you, know, you have to kind of look at a map to see how they, they, they join one another. But it's an even smaller uh, cemetery with a smaller price tag to better serve the population. Um, Garden of Memories was actually a cemetery that was designed for African American and Hispanic burials, and um, and that's still a lot of families that go there are tend to be more Hispanic um, because they have loved ones that are already there, mm-hmm. and they just want to be close by. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, as far as going to you know Greenwood, Oakwood, Rosemount, you know, it's. I think a lot of it has to do with geographic location. Mm-hmm. You know, if you lived over on the other side of the river, then um, Greenwood would be where you'd want to go. And uh, Greenwood also was, um, you know, very African-American heavy. Uh, that is was the African-American burial ground, and I think then it eventually went into Hispanics as well. Mm-hmm. And then you had the Anglo side of it, um, so that kind of dictated. And then, um, you know, those that um, could afford it would go to Ro- Oakwood. Yeah, I'd, there was a, a you know, news item. It's been maybe ten years ago now when they took down the fence at Greenwood. When when the city took over the responsibility of Greenwood Cemetery and they took down the fence, uh, 
between the African-American side, or the, actually they were two different cemeteries at that point, the African-American cemetery and the, and the white cemetery. When is Oakwood kind of integrated, or when are kind of black burials, uh, African-American families uh, able to, to have burials at, at Oakwood? I, I can't say that with, you know, with any, you know, can't say anything without any, you know, you know, date yeah, or anything like that. Um, you know, one of my, uh, one of my grounds crews that's been there for, you know, since 1976 said it was in the seventies. Mm-hmm. Which would fit. I mean, if we think about what's going on, uh, at a Waco level with integration, if we're thinking right. about education and other services and things like that, uh, we're talking about the sixties and seventies. Right. Yeah. So uh, that's really interesting because, I mean, I, I know your vision for Oakwood. I mean, uh, the hope was now Oakwood is more representative of the whole community than it's ever been. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Very much so. One of the memorials that always strikes me, and I'm drawn to it because of the way it looks, but also because of sort of the uniqueness of it, is the Firefighters Memorial. Yes. And that's one of the few that I've seen around that actually features paint uh, on the monument itself. And it strikes me as the sort of thing that's a very public monument. Uh, and you mentioned, you know, Oakwood being a public place, people coming in out and, and, and enjoying Waco's history. Do you happen to know why that memorial was chosen to go in Oakwood as opposed to somewhere like, say, downtown or an area where you would assume more people might see it? Well, around the Fireman's Memorial is uh, our actual burial spaces. And uh, you have uh, firefighters who lost their lives or who've opted to be buried there with their brothers. Um, I think the last burial took place there in the mid-2000s, um, 2012, something like that. Um, I think he was one of the associate fire chiefs. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's important to them. And, um, you know, you have different sections within the cemetery that were purchased by groups or organizations for, for their members. Uh, there's a union group that has uh, burial sites out there. Uh, the Methodist Children's Home actually has... Um, several different plots or, or lots for, uh, I don't know if it's just the children that may have passed away that were out there or what. Mm-hmm. Um, and even the Confederate section was purchased by the John Cleburne camp of Confederate veterans. And um, so we're, you know, they just bought their areas for, for their, for their fellow brethren. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you see a lot of that in different cemeteries, you know, different sections set aside specifically for, and then you have the uh, the sections that just kind of uh, pop up, you know, friends and you know like-minded individuals. Um, I think the uh, the the one that's uh, that's really kind of comical that is the Greek Orthodox Church. They've got their own little little. They've declared it their own little section, <laughs> and um, and you know, and I think that's great. You know, they're you know they're they're congregants of the same church. They you know more power to them. I'm always fascinated by some of the fraternal groups that you see. You'll find Masonic headstones. You'll find IOOF. Mm-hmm. Um, and my favorite, I think, are the woodmen, uh, the, the mm-hmm. woodmen of the world groups. Yes. So they're often tree or stump or, you know, wood-related in their shape. Do you have a favorite type of stone or marker that you always enjoy? Um, the woodmen are always neat. You know, you always get questions. Um, you know, with Historic Waco, we've started doing school kids through the cemetery. And the, the greatest question is, was he a lumberjack? <laughs> and then... <laughs> All that, those famous Waco lumberjacks. Exactly. <laughs> That's why, um, you know. But, um, you know, the, the woodmen always stand out. Mm-hmm. Um, the masons always stand out. You know, they have some pretty impressive designs that they've used. Um, but the woodmen are always the favorites. And it's always fun to try to explain what a woodman of the world was to a uh, third grader. Yeah, that, that is difficult. Yes, yeah. It is. yeah. So I, I did forget to mention Clint Lynch is president of Historic Waco Foundation. Uh, Eric Ames is vice president uh, of the Historic Waco Foundation. And so it's great to hear that that uh, school kids are, are getting uh, opportunities to go out into the oh, yeah. cemetery. Yeah. It's it's so much fun. I um, In my early career, I was a historian at the State Cemetery in Austin. Mm-hmm. And we would run 20,000 school kids a year through the cemetery during what I call the high holy days of Texas history. And, um, you know, and I, I've loved sharing, again, you know, we, like I said earlier, this is where you can get all the history of Waco. 
And, um, you know, we can't traipse them around the cemetery for six hours, which, you know, would give them a decent tour mm-hmm. of the cemetery. So we try to hit the first four blocks and just talk about, you know, some of the some of the prominent figures that, you know, were the early movers and shakers of Waco. And um, and one of the best ways are the street names. Do you know Parrot Avenue? Do you know Bagby Avenue? Do you know Hubby? Um, Fort Street. These, you know, that was what really resonates a lot with the kids, mm-hmm. especially uh, some of the uh, the kids. I think the one we went through was um, um, Cesar Chavez. So the kids out there, you know, that really, you know, those are the, the streets that they grow up on. Mm-hmm. And that really kind of drives it home that these people were, you know, in order to have a street name after you, you've got to, you know, you've got to done something fairly, you know, prominent. Yeah. Some of these kids, it's their first time in a cemetery. Yes. Probably. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Well, you know, as a society, we're so scared of death anyway, on the whole. And historians sometimes are <laughs> guilty of dragging our kids into cemeteries instead of, you know, amusement parks. I know my kids have been taken it's cheaper. To, it's yeah. much cheaper, much yes, quieter. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but to be able to expose groups of school kids to not only the reality of, of death and what, what happens after, but the history all along with it. I think it's a great way to tell those stories and to keep that generation engaged and to keep those stories moving forward. We can tell them all we want, but there really is something tangible about seeing a, a burial plot of someone who is important to Texas history. Exactly. Um, you know, when I, in college, I worked at the Sam Houston Museum in Huntsville. And, you know, to stand in the room where Sam died, it gives it a presence. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's almost kind of the same thing when you're standing at the graveside of William Cameron or, you know, L.S. Ross or somebody like that. You know, this is where he is. This is where he ended up. It, I think it kind of does make a little bit of a presence um, and a, an impression on the kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think your background, Clint, you know, the uh, cemetery, working at the state cemetery, uh, working uh, at that site um, at Sam Houston, and then you, you mix in a funeral director, you, kind of that experience. What do you think that added to kind of your job? Because I, I can connect the other two because those seem a little familiar to me. But how do you think? you being kind of a funeral director added into kind of this mix of how you approach what you do. Um, it gives you a better understanding of what it takes to physically get to the cemetery. Um, you know, when you do the school groups, you're always going to get these questions, you know, you know, those questions that you, the teachers kind of sh- just shy away and go, Oh, please don't answer that. But, um, but the kids want to know, and I think that that's helpful. And, um, you know, and it when I'm working with a family that, you know, has had a loss, they need to come in and purchase property, I know what they're going through. I know, you know, okay, we're, we're still dealing with the funeral home. I know what they're doing. And I'm able to, you know, help them, guide them, you know, share my experiences and get them from, you know, from one point to another. Mm-hmm. That's That's what's really helpful. The house that you live in, because I I ride my bike through the cemetery, and I've I've, I've seen you walking your dog uh, out. It, was that ha- when was that house built? Was it a caretaker's house? It is the it is a caretaker's house. Okay. It was built. I found the blueprints the other day. Uh, it was built in the late nineteen twenties, early nineteen thirties. Okay, yeah, and um, I did find in one of the Gildersleeve photos, he took a picture of the house. That uh, the house is brick now, but it was clapboard to begin with. So over the years, it's been bricked and established, and they added on to it the old office, which is behind the house. And now we're in our new office, which was built in about 2012. I would imagine their their job responsibilities were more diverse back then with regard to the cemetery than yours oh, yeah. are. Yeah, very much so. You've never you haven't handled a shovel lately. I uh, no, I have not. Um, you know, I. Uh, Going back, I found one of the early audits of the cemetery. Uh, it was from the early 1900s, and it dealt with veterinary bills, horseshoes. What are they, furriers that put, you know, the, you know that kind of stuff. And that just made me roar with laughter, um, you know, because everything's tractors now. And so, yeah, it's, it's definitely changed throughout the years. And how are the records? I mean, because I know you're interested in historical material and kind of going back and looking at tracking burials and that sort of information. Uh, I mean, h- how have you found those to be? And, and cause I know you've gone back and wanted to look. 
Oh yeah, definitely. Um, the one thing that I can say is that our records are in excellent shape. We've, uh, we've gone through and uh, put everything into a database, a searchable database that we can use physically. Now we're in the process of putting it into a mapping software that over time will be added to our website. Mm-hmm. So if you're coming out, you know, if you're coming from out of town, you haven't been to Oakwood in 20 years and you're trying to find, you know, great grandfather's grave, you know, this will be able to help you. And we're going through, we've got card files where, um, you know, we've got the owner on one side and all the burials on the back side. And so we've been pretty fortunate that, um, you know, those records are in pretty decent shape. Um, in the early 1900s, there was a fire. We did lose some records. And um, we've been able to go through, I'm holding a book here that's kind of a history of Oakwood um, that uh, also lists all the burials up to a certain point. Mm-hmm. And we've been able to go through those and find, you know, they, and the, whoever compiled this book went through the obituaries. I see. So we've got those records. We may not know, you know, exactly when that person died or when that person was buried, but we know that that person's there. I'm curious when you're meeting with a family who's just suffered a loss and they're in that headspace where if you've been through the death of a family member, it can be a very difficult time to wrap your head around details and you need a trusted partner to walk you through that process. But have you ever had a, a person whose family comes along and says, you know, we chose Oakwood because we know it's a historic cemetery and we know that, you know, grandpa would have wanted to be here or, or, or does the, the history of the cemetery ever come up in those conversations? I would assume mm-hmm. occasionally. It does. It does. Um, I have families who come in and um, they say, well, we have to be in the old section. And um, I had one lady right after I started, she wanted 12 spaces in the old section. And I said, I'm sorry, you're about 100 years too late. Um, You know, I just don't have that much room in the old section. And I think it is the, um, you know, the perception you're in the old section you know, the trees are bigger, they're more mature. You've got some of these historical figures around you and um, they just don't want to be in the back. And the back is um, nowhere, you know, it's it's still beautiful. Doesn't look like the front, but, um, you know, it's just that perception. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely plays a perspective for some people. Two things I thought of, well, related to the same topic is cemeteries have enthusiasts people that are just into cemeteries. I mean, you were talking about cataloging. I've used find a grave. I don't know how many times. And that's a, you know, that's a crowdsourced project. And I think of etchings and so there are these enthusiasts, right? That, that, that come and engage uh, in Oakwood. Should we do etchings or are they bad for the tombstones? They're not. I mean, if you're not done correctly, you can do some damage to the stone. Um, You know, so we, we prefer people not to do it, but, you know, I'm not on the grounds 24 seven. So when do happens. you take your lunch? Just in case I want to do, <laughs> um, I, I'm not going to answer that question. Um, but you know, I mean, we do get people and I'm one of those people. Yeah. Uh, nobody will travel with me anymore because I love to go through old cemeteries and just, you know, I may not know, I you know, found myself in, um, Louisville, Kentucky, and Cave Hill Cemetery, which is one of the most beautiful cemeteries I've ever seen. And, um, you know, I was explaining it to friends, and they were just looking at me like, what is wrong with you? But, um, you know, they're, they're such beautiful places. And there's, I mean, you know, if you're into trees and, you know, flora and fauna, there's cemeteries. You know, there's, there's all of that. If you're into architecture, there's headstones. If you're into art, you know, you can find it all in a cemetery. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just amazing, you know, the, the monuments of, you know, people leave of themselves. I'm reminded of a, a stone in a cemetery in Paris, Texas. Um, it's actually a monument with a, a figure of, uh, they're not sure if it's supposed to be Christ or an angel or who it is, but it's a, it's a figure in a robe holding a cross. And the man who's buried there was a, a town uh, businessman. He'd made plenty of money. And then when he died, he decided for a fun little send-off that he wanted his statue of this mourner uh, to have cowboy boots. And so we were going to go up that way to go to a state park. And I told my kids, okay, when we go to Paris, we're going to go to the cemetery. And instead of being like, oh, why? They were like, cool, let's check it out. So you're not alone. And there is another generation who are, be- who are being you know, indoctrinated into this, uh, this world of cemetery fans. But that made me wonder, is there anything in 
your knowledge of the the stones at Oakwood that has a similar feel. If there's any of those sort of gag or prank or you know ah you have to look for it uh, icons uh, on the grounds. Short of the pockmark on um, on Brand Stone, um, you know the one that really comes to mind. It's not really a gag or a prank or anything like that. It's uh, Cornelia Smith's. Um, I call it the claw. Um, Cornelia was, uh, I think, the first female dean at Baylor. Uh, she was dean of biology, and her husband taught in the English department and was uh, a gifted poet and sculptor. And that is the, their bronze sculpture. And it's um, it's just a it's a it's one of those pieces that's close to the road, but it's far enough from the road as you drive by. You what was that? Mm-hmm. It, you know, it catches your eye, and that's what gets you know that's what you know most people comment on about the cemetery. But as far as, you know, gimmicks, um, we have a guy who is buried out at Oakwood who um, a ledger stone is a flat stone that lays on top of the grave. And um, the ledger stone is in the shape of a pool table. And uh, back behind it, the, uh, the stone that stands up straight is a shark with a pool cue. So he was a pool shark. <laughs> and uh, he has the definition of a hustler on the backside of it. Huh. So that is great. We have a gentleman who was a writer for National Geographic, and his stone is a typewriter. And on the keys are his name and his dates. So, I mean, you've got some stuff like that yeah. that really stands out. You have to look for them, but, um, you know, nothing like, you know, Jesus with cowboy boots. But, um, you know, the pool shark is, is something to definitely behold. That's pretty great. That's a dad-level pun. Know, to the extreme. You took it to the extreme of the afterlife. Yes. You know, I'm going with this to the grave. Yes, definitely. Um, is there uh, the crowds that will go out after hearing this, uh, is there any etiquette that you would suggest? And Because I, I remember, and this is just superstition, you know, not to walk across a grave, you know, to walk around a grave. I was taught that as a kid. So I remember walking through cemetery singing okay how tall might this guy you know i I don't want to step on his toes but just just those those sorts of things that that you know some of it folklore some of it etiquette some of it superstition you know the the not walking across a grave is more of a um you know respect thing Mm -hmm. but i mean if you want to get to certain parts of the cemetery you're gonna have to walk across a grave and i i you know i started telling my school kids this when i was in austin at the state cemetery is that's okay. They're just happy you're here to see them. Um, you know, our biggest thing about etiquette is not to climb on the headstones. Um, some of the stones are extremely old. They're extremely delicate. And we just don't want the stones to get damaged or for the stone to fall and, you know, hurt somebody. Mm-hmm. So that's the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the association is responsible, I guess, for upkeep and all yes. those. You know, nothing goes back to the family or... Well, how does that work? The headstone, you know, when, you know, you, you don't actually buy the property, you buy the right to use the property. Um, But when you do put up a headstone, you know, that stone does belong to you or to your family. Um, You know, if that stone were to fall over and if it's your great, great grandfather's stone, it's covered under your, you know, household insurance and it can be, you know, replaced, repaired. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. That's good to know. Yeah. Yeah. So, Eric, you think you, you're ready to buy in? I'm getting close. The sales job has been, uh, it's, it's, it's really pushing me that direction. Yeah. So, so to get really dark, in 100 years, if we want to come see you, Clint, where will you be? I, um, I very, not very politely, I shoved my sister out from underneath the tree that's on <laughs> our family lot. So um, I will be nestled in my spot in Block 18. Block 18. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Membership has its privileges. That's right. <laughs> that was her comment. What, what gives you the authority to do that? I said, I run the place. Well, now you got to outlive your sister. That, yeah. That's Ooh. true. <laughs> Incentive. Or, or go first. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I guess that's true. <laughs> All right. Well, Eric, any other questions for Clint? No, this is, yeah. uh, this is really fascinating. I've always enjoyed Oakwood. It's one of the first places when we moved to Waco that I wanted to find was where's the historic cemetery. And the first place people pointed me was to Oakwood. And I've been out many times. I've spent many hours either doing research or just sitting and enjoying the surroundings. Uh, it's, it's very peaceful. It, it's, just, it's sort of like Cameron Park in a way. It's a sort of urban park environment uh, in the middle of, of the town that's just it's really nice to get to. Um, no, I, we appreciate you coming in and sharing your expertise and your your stories. It's, it's, it's truly fascinating. 
It, it really is. It's an amazing place. Um, I like to call it an oasis amongst chaos, mm-hmm. um, especially sometimes with Baylor across the street. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it is a place where, you know, with the walkers and the joggers, it's a place you can go, you know, clear your head, spend some time in reverence. And um, and I think that's important. Mm-hmm. And and remember. Yeah, I think it's a landmark. I mean, I think it's really important. So I enjoy I really appreciate you coming on. Glad to do it. Let us know a little bit more about it. Glad to do it. I enjoyed it. Thank you all for having me. All right. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thanks, Mike. Yeah. There's a voice in our ear. (laughs) He's saying we did well. (laughs) Thanks for having me in, too, Stephen. Oh, that was fun. Sitting in, yeah. That was fun. It's hard to be in the presence of a master interviewer because this is literally what you do. Well, I would would have Clint crying, but this is... (laughs) This it's has got to go out for public consumption. That's, that's what we hard. agreed on, Stephen. Yeah. I wanted him to cry. That's I did hard. ask him where would he be in 100 years, so that was as dark as I got at the exactly. end. Exactly, <laughs> no, exactly. No, and we didn't plug Brotherwell. We still... Uh, yeah, so uh, Mike will do that. Um, but yeah, if, if there had been a way, if there had been a gravestone with a beer can, I would have... I would have... Had you asked, I, I would there have, are gravestones with beer there cans are, there engraved are, on them. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> See, and he even said that the only time he's ever heard people experience these stories, it's like it started because I was, you know, exactly. several beers. Yeah, and that's exactly. what we said. Sponsored by Brother Will Brewery. <laughs> so close. <laughs> so close. No, uh, it's still on our intro and our outro. Yes. Yeah. So I wasn't. Know if, I didn't know if you were doing organic plugs in the middle of. If, the... if it happens, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm still... Cross the Brazos and white hard and I'll make it by dawn. Thanks for listening to the Waco History Podcast. Like what you heard? Subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes so we can reach more listeners. You can find show notes and info on every episode at wacohistorypodcast.com and more info on Waco's past at wacohistory.org. Our theme music, used with permission, is Cross the Brazos at Waco, performed by the late Billy Walker. For more info on Billy's music, go to billywalker.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. This has been a Rogue Media Podcast.